Welcome on in. It is time for the Tony Parks Podcast right here on the Utah Podcast Network. We are joined today by a really good friend of mine, a legend here in the state of Utah, a guy that everybody's familiar with when hearing his voice and also uh, talking to him about anything going on in the sports world and especially here in the state of Utah. You can follow me on all social media channels at Tony Parks 801. Email me, TonyParks801 at gmail.com. We are joined today by the voice of the Utah Jazz, Craig Bowler Jack. Bowler, what's going on? Hot, how are you, my friend? <laughs> you and I, I don't think you and I see each other in the arena without having a hot story or a hot interaction. We have to. Yeah, it just, it's an automatic. I see you and I just think of hot, you know? Bottom line. Bottom line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you what are- a character. Hots would complain to others about me not doing the impersonation for him. Did he ever complain uh, to you about that? Did he ever? <laughs> no, 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 no. I never, you know, I never heard him because I heard there was a young one, a young kid who can actually talk like me. Oh, know? he would say that? You know, <laughs> yeah, it was funny because I, I think when you're around, when you're around Hot Rod as much as we were, you know, you just automatically started to take on his, uh, you know, his, his way, his mannerisms. And he started to talk like him because it was just, it was rough and gruff. And, and, uh, you know, there was such a easy, what do you call it? A cadence to it, you mm-hmm. know, and that's what you really, uh, obviously you, you got it down. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's, and you, you know, you're a master of voices and it's fun to listen to Lou Holtz and well, you know, we, <laughs> You know, you, you entertained us all for a long time, my friend. Well, thank you, man. Now, we had a, a lot of fun with the hot stuff when I was a kid because I could do the broadcast hots, you know? And so I right, could right. totally have it. You know, Stockton down the middle, underneath the Carl Hammerduck, the mailman, Stockton up alone. Like, you know, that was all, like, normal. But when I got around <laughs> him and worked around him, that's where it right. came to the basic conversational stuff. You know, right. And that's where his right. daughter, Kim, just loves when her and I talk stories about him back in the day, because then I can just start channeling him and reciting it the way she's telling me. And then, you know, and then we go on for hours. So, yeah, that's oh, absolutely. <laughs> she's, I'm sure Kimberly feels like she's talking to pops when she talks to you. <laughs> or she closes her eyes. You know, that's got to be a true joy. But, oh, man. you know, just a just a terrific guy and the stories. Just oh, man. Just, you know, and with Jerry's passing, they all came back last week. And you really think about it, Tony, the big three. I, I got choked up doing some radio. I mean, it, I try to, you know, stay as cool, calm as I can. But when you kind of really do grow up like I did uh, in this business around Larry and then Hots and then Jerry, I mean, the big three. And, the, you know, and again, you have to talk about the great Frank Layden, who's thankfully with us, but the impact. Uh, that those men uh, had on this franchise, the Utah Jazz, and to to lose a third cog in the wheel uh, really kind of set me back last week. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know he's in a much better place. But, you know, you just – I tell you, I think all of us get into a mindset too, Tony, where you see a guy with such, <clears throat> I don't know, persona, tough, and you think of him as not being – you know, never being the one that would leave us. But it, it comes to – it, it's true. The, the mighty oak fell, and I, I just never thought it would happen. I knew it would, but you didn't want to admit it. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just the way it, it really is. But, you know, just a guy that I got to know for uh, years and years and uh, had a lot of fun moments with him. And uh, one involved hots, if I may. I remember we were all out to dinner, I believe San Antonio. And, um, Travis Henderson, our producer, was with us. I think Joe Kruger was there, uh, part of our broadcast team, and myself and uh, Coach Hot Rod and, and uh, Jerry and Phil um, uh, Johnson, I mean. And uh, so Hot Rod, after dinner, decides he's going to use the bathroom. Uh-huh. And this is a perfect time for Jerry to say, let's go. 
And as everyone knows, Hot's uh, America's guest. And, you know, he loved that. that. That never bothered him, by the way. And so we get up and we and we all start walking back to the hotel. We get about 30 yards down to the sidewalk and Hot Rod breaks through the door and says, Hi, Jerry, you forgot to pay the bill. <laughs> and, and Jerry says, Jerry, hey, coach, uh, yeah. the, the bill, it's over here. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, Keep on walking, boys. And we did like we didn't hear him. And in the back, you could hear him. Okay, you got me this time, but the only time. <laughs> and so he, he, uh, he paid the bill, and it just brought so much laughter to Jerry and to all of us because it was rare that Hots ever put a nickel or a dime down on the table. Mm-mm. And Jerry was so kind to all of us in picking up tabs. I didn't feel comfortable about it. We tried to you know, toss in 20s, and he'd always say, your money, hell, your money's not good here. So those are those are just moments that those two, especially, was a running, you know, just a running gag with them for their entire you know time together, <laughs> and just to be a part of that one gag that night where we got hot rod, it was a beautiful thing. Oh, Hots used to ask me, "Hey, uh, one of these days, let's uh, let's go to lunch." You know, let's go to lunch. <laughs> and I had heard every story, and I was like, yeah. and, "And now this time, I'm, you know, I'm a college student. I don't." I don't, I don't, dude, if I have to pay twice as much as I was expecting, that's going to hurt, man. Like, so. Oh yeah. Big time. I, I remember be looking at him like, uh, yeah, sometime. And I just put it off, put it sometime. off, put it off. Yeah. I didn't, it wasn't going to happen, man. Like, cause I had heard all of those stories about how, uh, hots would do that. It's interesting that, yeah, Jer- if anybody was going to get hots, it was going to be Jerry then. Jerry got him, and it was, it, like I said, it was a great moment to be a part of, <laughs> to hear that echo as we walked away from our ride, you know, he was with the bill. Coach and, Fuller, uh, Travis, somebody. Yeah. Hey, you guys, you forgot. <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> we knew you'd have to come back out, and the lady would say, hey, they didn't pay the bill, and uh, we wanted Hot Rod to enjoy a moment of uh, pulling out a credit card or uh, pulling some cash out of his wallet too. So, Mm. you know, those two had a great relationship and uh, you know, those (laughs) times were then and now Tony, here we are, you know, with another coach and and coach Q that I think, you know, has a lot of the same, uh, you know, uh, personality traits, but in a different way, it's a different time with different players and different personalities. And, um, you know, I think one reason why Jerry decided to, to retire was, you know, what was, was not was happening then, now, in the now. And Jerry was all about just straight-up hard work, not about analytics. And the league was making a pretty big change at that time. And uh, I think it just kind of wore him out. But I'm, the other part I think we needed – I, I want to just say is I'm glad he and Darren, uh, Darren Williams, were able to speak prior to his, you know, his, his passing a year or so ago just because, again, I think both men needed that cleansing uh that they can move forward and i'm sure darren and i know he said it uh last week that he was glad those moments came and Mm -hmm. it was facilitated by greg and by steve starks who got those two together and i'm glad they did i'm glad they did and whether or not they totally buried the hatchet at least they met they talked and they were able to get some things settled and i'm i'm glad they did how many guys have you met in all of your years that when someone asks what's he really like you can say mm-hmm. exactly what you see like yeah. on TV yeah. and everything. Cause, cause we're fortunate in this market to have uh, a number of them, you know, Jerry, Frank Layden, you know, somebody like uh, Larry H Miller, right? Like these are, we're lucky in this market that we have more than I would think you would expect in many places, guys that when you see them on TV, you can say that's, that's actually exactly what he's like. Yeah, it's a great point. You know, in the interview process that we've all been through and, the way my career has gone, I've met a lot of coaches and NFL, college, uh, college hoop, the Bobby Knights, uh, the Nick Sabins of the world, um, you know, by Bayheim and Lou Holtz. And, you know, all of them have kind of, be, you know, sometimes they become characters of themselves because of the, the national television and, and the way that the media per, portrays them. But your point's well taken that the real deal, I mean, Larry was no BS. Uh, he was an emotional guy and didn't try to hold it back. Uh, yeah. You know, I think that's an interesting point for Larry. As tough as of, a, of an owner, uh, the soft side of him actually was really quite interesting to see him handle his franchise and the, and the men and women 
that helped him build it uh, and his relationship with Gail, you know, and, and the way that, you know, they, they work together uh, to build this, this franchise. And then you get, Larry, then you get hot, you get a guy that, you know, tells you about the tough life in West Virginia, Frank Layden, the comedian, but also a guy that uh, loves the state of Utah and loved the jazz. I mean, the, the, the beautiful line was, Hey coach, what time's the game? What time can you be here? I what mean, that's time what can you be re- here? Yeah. yeah, such a beautiful statement because he was trying to sell it. He was a kind of a carnival, you know, uh, he was barking out there. Like he wanted this franchise to succeed and he knew basketball. I think that's one people one thing people have to remember is he was really astute to the game. And then along comes Jerry, you know, the, as he called himself, the, the poor dirt farmer. But you know, he, he was the real deal, man. I mean, it's really an amazing thing. You make a great point. The cameras, he would stay and talk to the to the ESPNs and to the, you know, the students who was down at BYU or Utah trying to do their first interview. He'd stay and do those uh, interviews and talk until no one was around. Mm-hmm. And I applaud him for that. A lot of times these, the coaches today are, you know, that they only have so much time and then they, you know, excuse the media. And, but Jerry was one of those guys, man, if he wanted to talk, he'd talk and he, he talked real. And I think that's why really most players were endeared to him because he didn't, you know, he, the BS, he didn't have any, he just told you the way it was. And either you liked it or didn't, or you thought about it and got better. And he had, you know, look, he had issues with Oster tag and there were times that, you know, ice bags were being tossed around the room. Those were legendary, you know, stories but you know all, all the time though the tags and the malones the stocktons the hornet sex uh, the jeff malone uh, the guys who all came and went always had the same comment the respect right and even the booze and the d wills i mean those guys all thought they were going to bigger and better places but i talked to both of them after they left the jazz and they all looked at me and i was in that that was a, that was a great time why did i leave and i you know again when you're young and you think there's uh, the greener pastures, right? You, you make some decisions that you sometimes regret. But most of them always said to me when I saw them again on another team, man, I had a great time. And I think that's one of the great compliments you, you could give to coach. Oh, look how many guys left and did not have a similar level of success, right? Great point. Or did not, great point. And, and it's not just the way they perform, but did yeah. you – now, you as a broadcaster, you, you have to be very careful on conversations you have with players. It's their business. Did you ever get close enough to a player where you ever thought to yourself, man, maybe it's my chance to say to this guy, hey, the grass isn't always greener, man. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, you know, I we, we ran across guys like that. I have, you know, mm-hmm. throughout, my, throughout my career. There's some, some players that you just seem to connect with. Others you just, you know, you see, you know, you, you respect them, but they don't really have the need uh, for uh, any uh, – you know, media relation uh, or relationship. I think sometimes it just kind of comes naturally. I mean, my I, one of my favorite players of all time is Memo, Money Man. Carl mm-hmm. uh, Malone and I, were we came to town the same year in 85, so we kind of forged an interesting relationship. But, you know, as journalists, and that's, I'm talking old school here now because I think it's changed drastically. We're more of an, you know, we've become more of an entertainment business now than a journalistic business. But I was still, you know, writing and reporting and uh, broadcasting over KSL. And that's where I got to know, you know, Carl and John prior to my, my time with the Jazz. But, yeah, you, you build trust and you build the no BS attitude where, hey, you got a question, you ask it. And I think Carl sometimes wanted people to know who he was more, more in depth. And he, he almost applauded those moments when, when he could actually talk more about the real Carl Malone. Stockton, of course, didn't need the media. Uh, you know, he just wanted to play basketball. And, you know, you had to respect that, too. That was John, the assassin. Carl uh, liked the camera, and John was glad he did because he, he would be able to exit stage left and, as Carl continued to talk to the media. And so that's why that combination worked for such a long time. Right. Uh, because they had different personalities, but great respect on the floor, and they needed each other. I mean, you couldn't say Stockton without Malone, right? And you couldn't talk about Malone without John. So they knew that. And that was the beauty of their relationship. And, uh, you know, you get back to why players, you know, work in Utah. I think the system is part of it, too. And it works today for what, you know, Quinn Snyder's doing. 
It's the system. Does the system fit? For Joe Ingalls, absolutely it does. And, you know, for, for Stockton Malone, the pick and roll, beautiful thing. Antoine Carr, defender, tough guy. Uh, you know, the brown bear. You know, you get backups to Stock who understood their role and didn't try to dethrone Stockton. And so that's, all, that's how it all works, is that everyone knew their place. And uh, that's how they work together to get the two title runs against Chicago. You know, the Adam Keith of the world, my, old, my partner, you know, Matt Harpering, understood he was going to be a tough guy, you know, and, and come around on the roll to the rim and score. Uh, and Hornacek knew that he'd have to make his own, uh, he'd have to run his own play at times to get open to pop a three because a three wasn't in vogue. You know, you know, Jerry was a guy that wanted you to battle inside, post up, and, and get a, an easy bucket. But, oh, how, it's, how the times have changed, right? The league is all about the three, all about analytics, and all about getting to the rim. So, uh, interesting, interesting transition, right, from the from where they were to where we are today. Oh, it's yeah. really intriguing to, to see how the league has changed in a pretty short period of time. I am amazed when I think back to some of the guys that I thought Jerry got so much out of, like Ronnie Brewer, mm-hmm. Milt Palacio, Chris Morris, like Greg Ostertag. To get anything out of Kirill Fasinko was tremendous, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, He had uh, Felton Spencer go out, James Donaldson comes in, and they still won 60 games. And even though they lost in the first round, they lost to the champion, and that was not a first-round series. <laughs> I try to remind people of that right. back in 95. Exactly. Jazz and Rockets. It, when in all of your years, what was the best work you thought you saw Jerry do with a player or with a situation? Oh my goodness! Uh, you, you brought up some interesting <clears throat> names. You know, guys, the David Benoit, the Kerry Scurries. I mean, there were so many players that had so many multiple personalities. I thought Jerry was able to handle everybody on a pretty much even keel. He had the persona and the um, everyone knew how tough he was uh, because at that time, you know, the league was still kind of young in the sense of being in the, the national, you know, eye. Remember they used to play uh, the, the, the championship games were played on tape delay oh, on CBS after your local news. <laughs> and that was magic and, and, and bird by the way. And then all of a sudden, you know, the Celtics and the Lakers actually brought the NBA into the limelight of where we are today. But getting back to Jerry, I thought he handled so many multiple personalities in, in their own way. But again, he also had his just one simple rule, and that was to work hard. We all know about the lunch pail, and we know about you got to play with heart, and you got to come and you play as a team. Everyone wears, wears the same shorts, you wear the same shoes. Uh, you wear the same socks, and you always have your jersey tucked in. And you know what? There were times players didn't particularly care for it. And by the way, no headband, right? No headband. And so either you fell into the system or you fell out, and you saw some players come and go. But in reality, I think everyone likes to have a coach coach. And I think they like to have rules and regulations on how to play the game. You know, there's always one or two that don't. But I think Jerry handled a lot of different guys in a lot of different ways and were able to handle the tags, emotions, uh, and also Stockton's just cold-bloodedness. And uh, I'm sure Jerry – I know Jerry appreciated his work. Uh, and Carl Malone, who always <laughs> – every summer had some issue he, he had to, you know, fix with Larry. And that was what kept us all so in tune, you remember, in the summers. You know, <laughs> Willie or Woney and Larry always and, – and Carl always – gave each other a hug and said it's all okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was the emotions that, that come into play. They're all individuals. So I thought Jerry did a, a great job just handling those times and and trying to keep you know a team focused. And um, even though he was tough, I thought he was fair. Frank Layden said to me uh, that Jerry was perfect to accelerate John and Carl. And Frank even admitted, he was like, I could take them to a certain point. It was Jerry that took them to championship level. And he said he doesn't think John or Carl make the Hall of Fame without Jerry Sloan. But Carl's an interesting one. You, you knew depths of Carl uh, more so than most of us. I look at Carl and I go, man, uh, wore his emotions on his sleeve, had issues with sometimes being emotionally erratic, you know, could, 
could fire off and go on an L.A. radio station in the summer, right? Like, all the stuff that happened. And for Larry and Jerry to manage that as well as they did and to keep it focused and pointed the right direction the whole time, Mm -hmm. Carl could be very disruptive. And they never let it disrupt the production of the team. Yeah, no, they were able to reel him in. I think Carl reeled himself back in. They knew he had to have a moment to express maybe frustration, whatever it may be, but then he reeled himself back in to where he felt comfortable. He he loved Coach Sloan, and I I talked to Kay uh, just last Friday, uh, and uh, Carl has taken it very hard, as I expected. Um, You know, I I do talk to Carl a lot uh, just via text, and out of nowhere, he's up in a hunting blind. And he just wants to say, what's new, Bowler? And, you know, it gives me chills because our relationship uh, is we had some, some tough times. Uh, I asked that, you know, I asked him tough questions and he didn't like them. Um, and then we also started doing these one hour specials that he kept coming back to me and saying, let's go do another one. Yes. They were live, <laughs> unscripted on KSL. And, and honestly, Tony, those three hour, three, three episodes of Who Is Carl Malone? Uh, some of the best um, journalism in the sense of me having an opportunity to just ask any question and having a having the uh, the subject sitting in the chair answering them. Um, and he wanted, like I said, he wanted people to know who he was, where he came from, and the emotion that he played the game with. Lost his father, young age, his mother, surely, huge impact. Uh, in his life and how hard it was for, for him when, he, when she passed away, uh, diabetes and the complications of. Um, Carl, you know, he's just an interesting guy. And, you know, he, he's tough. But like, like a, a Jerry and like a Larry, there is a soft, there's a soft edge to him, man. And sometimes those guys don't want anyone to ever know it. But from what I, but what I've been fortunate enough in my career is able to see both sides of, of all those men, mm-hmm. and that uh, they weren't just stone. Uh, they played hard. They worked hard, um, and you know they knew what their their role was. And it's an amazing thing to see how durable Stock and Malone truly were. But you know what? It's a reflection of the coach, also the reflection of the owner, okay. and that's why that uh, they got the two statues out outside of the arena. And I'm sure Jerry may come one day. And you know what, Larry, uh, maybe, I don't know if Larry said, I don't want one, but it's hard not to think of a Larry and a Jerry joining Carl and John someday, but we'll see. We'll oh. see. You know, those uh, statues don't come. Those are for, you know, special moments, special people. But uh, yeah, there was John and Carl, but without Larry and, and Jerry, they wouldn't be there. They wouldn't be there. They're the four on the Rushmore. And I, and no disrespect to Frank, Tom Nasalki, like we can go through a number of different great guys, Jeff Hornacek. So a number of people will have their name in the rafters. But when you talk about the Rushmore, I mean, there's a clear cut for there. You mentioned Jerry and Carl, how like, you know, Jerry lost his father. uh, Carl lost his. They both came from small towns. They both had similar attitudes about hard work and all of that. How much did Jerry and Carl connect over like the similarities involving family and even if they did silently did you get the sense or did Carl ever tell you how much he was able to kind of grab on to Jerry Sloan because of his understanding of this I I think what Carl told me uh, and again he wouldn't mind me saying this is that what I think he respected was there was a time when he first came out of college that some people didn't believe that he had the work ethic needed to be a great player in this league well, look, I think he proved everybody wrong, but I think the motivator behind it was obviously Jerry. He said, look, you know, look, uh, look, look at the potential you have and what you can become. And you just mentioned that uh, Frank saw it himself. I, mean, I remember the night in 85 when he's up on the stage, and that's my first uh, – I had just come to town. It was the first story I did was Carl Malone, uh, draft night. And he says, we're bringing him out, man. And everybody erupts, you know, out of Louisiana Tech. And, you know, it changed the whole franchise. I mean, they had Thurl, they had Mark, they had Stockton. Uh, but in 85, Carl Malone comes to town, and this kind of the kid was scrawny at the time. Look at the body and the work that he put in to become a true power forward and the second all-time, second all-time leading scorer of the NBA um, and durable. 
Uh, and that baseline J, you know, as he got older, he was able to master his craft and, and always do different things with his game. And Jerry applauded him for it. He wanted those buckets down low, but also that no one could defend that little sweet step back, right? Uh, and that just gave the, the, the Jazz another level uh, of their play. Uh, but, you know, getting back to your original question, I never really heard them talk privately about their past, but I think they just had the unspoken connection Agreed. because they yeah. both knew where they came from and, their, and the dual respect. And I know that, you know, Larry and, and Carl were very close, and I know Jerry and Carl were as, as close. And, um, you know, he, he, he and, and the, the mutual respect, you could still see it after retirement, right? When Carl would come back and Jerry was still able to be at games. It was such a big smile, such a big celebration when the three got back together. And, um, you know, I was there when, when uh, Jerry was inducted into the Hall of Fame along with the Stockton. And that was the same time Jordan was inducted. And then Carl was the, the year later. But it was cool to see Stock and Jerry going together. And I'm sure oh, yeah. if you asked him, uh, Carl probably thought that he should probably go on him with them at the same time, but uh, he did want to try to continue, uh, I think, running after that ring in L.A., and the knee didn't agree with him, and, and after a short period of time in Los Angeles, and that just didn't look right to me, uh, Malone in a Laker uniform, but hey, <laughs> Carl had to do his own thing, right? That's mm-hmm. Carl. It didn't surprise me, but I'm sure in, in some way he probably regrets it a bit. Craig Bolerjack, voice of the Utah Jazz, with us here today on the Tony Parks podcast. Always great to have him here with us. You have been right there courtside calling Utah Jazz games now. I mean, what was it, 05, the first year? 05. 05? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they made the, years, the transition. Which has been a snap of the fingers, Tony. Unreal how, how quick 15 goes. Dude, you, I mean, I was thinking back. I'm like, well, no, it's been about 9 or 10 or 15 yeah. years. Okay, that's 15. That's how that works. Um, what what was kind of your first wow moment? What was your most enjoyable moment? Uh, sitting there, home, road, any situation where you've had a chance to, to call the games for this team? Oh, Tony, there's so many. And I think what I always say, and I think it's true, and I hope people understand this, is that I hope the wow moment still has, is still to come. Uh, because every night's a wow moment for me. And, and that's, that's the truth. Um, you know, I can think of, you know, memos, uh, some big threes and, you know, and, and blowing on his fingers just because money man came out of my mouth one night. And, you know, I remember Larry told me, Hey, Bowler, I'll never tell you what to say, but I got a contract coming up with a memo career and you keep calling him money man. And he just stood there straight face and busted out laughing. Uh, oh, but he was great. just, <laughs> yeah, he was just kidding me that he goes, you're calling him money, man. And I got a damn contract to do with him, you know? But, you know, Memo, Memo's a real pro, pro and a good person. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, those, that was a guy that I enjoyed. Ostertag was a laugh a minute, but also you saw him. Uh, what I saw from him when he, when he came back was the fact that he really wanted to become a better basketball player. And he knew that Jerry could get it out of him. Uh, but there were times that we all just shook our head, right? That um, every fourth night wasn't going to get it done. There were nights that were just outstanding, but the inconsistency drove Jerry crazy because again, he saw the potential of the big, of the big man. Um, talking to, to the Oster tag was so intriguing to me because he, um, you know, he said sometimes he just, what was it? Look, he liked to look at the clouds, you know, instead of playing basketball. Uh, and <laughs> you know, he was, he was an intriguing personality, uh, sure. big dog, Antoine Carr. I mean, I think for me, instead of remembering actual plays, I remember the people and their personalities. I think the biggest wow moment that I've had was Kobe's last game uh, that we called at Staples Center. And to watch Jack Nicholson uh, next to us talk, you know, guys, he's going for 30, 40, 50. I'm just, Matt and I are looking at him laughing like, good good Lord. It was just a surreal moment, Tony, that I was able to be a part of that. And 60 is unbelievable. The Jazz were in awe themselves, I think, that night where, where it was all starting to, to come down. But I felt like, and I've always said this, I felt like I was in a doggone Hollywood movie that the script had been written for Kobe to leave just like this. Mm-hmm. And then I, I usually get out of my seat and get, get out of there and go to the locker room 
pretty quick. But on that particular night, I decided just to stay and take it in because the confetti fell. Uh, the fans refused to leave, and Kobe was bigger than life at that particular moment. And uh, I kept the scorecard. I saw it the other night. I was rumbling through some of my papers, and I saw it. I kept some confetti. I kept my box score. Uh, I've got a picture of Kobe, which I never take a photo with a, with a player. Uh, but for some odd reason, Harpering and I are in this photo uh, with Kobe because he came by the table. And it was odd. I think he just was saying his farewells to anybody that he recognized. And, of course, Matt and him had played against each other. And I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. And then, of course, with him passing, uh, really just rattled me. Because youth, you don't expect a youthful player or a man uh, who was expecting to, expecting to do such great things with his after-basketball life. And that rocked me a bit uh, to know that I had witnessed his final game. And now, sadly, he's gone. But uh, I think for me, that moment will stick in my head for a long time. And also the night Jerry decided to, to step away uh, from the game. It was at home against Chicago. Yep. How strange was that, by the way? And I was in, the, the, Chicago I was Bulls. in the Bulls locker room and could hear a conversation going on with the rest of the broadcast during commercial breaks. Hey, it's taken a really long time for Jerry right, to come out. Right. And something yeah, we just hoped that didn't he was okay health right. yeah, yeah. We didn't know. And then they said around midnight, uh, Greg, I believe, came out and said, we'll have an announcement tomorrow. And then I knew, I, as I waited, just to see what was going on. So, you know, there's always moments, you know, COVID, uh, you know, 19 will stick in my mind forever, March 11th. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the night memo, uh, sadly, towards Achilles in the playoff game. Um, you know, and uh, Stockton shot. I was there in Houston reporting and knowing that the ball was going in. I, it was so slow motion, Tony, as you know, in life, how things just, you sit there in slow motion going in those milliseconds, you talk to yourself like, that shot's going in. We're going to Chicago. And boom, boom. It's, it's, there it is. And then all of a sudden, uh, life comes back into real time. And I thought to myself, wow, this city is going to rock and roll. Uh, as we find ourselves to the first NBA championship round with Chicago, Stockton over Barkley, and uh-oh, you heard Bill Walton and Greg <laughs> Gumbel with a great call, and Snapper Jones, and um, there it was, man. So those yeah. are moments. You know, they're frozen in time, they're, and, and like I said, I'm a believer that there's more to come, and that's what drives all of us, I think, in broadcasting every night is to say, what's going to happen? Because you can't script it. You prepare, as you know, for the game. But what you may think is going to be lopsided one way or the other, in reality, it may be one of the most exciting games you've ever called. And uh, that's what I love about sport is the unexpected. Yep. Uh, and that's that's what drives fans, drives them crazy, uh, but it also keeps bringing them back uh, to the arena and to watch television because the love of the game, the love of their team, and that unknown that uh, is there every night. Yeah. The one thing that can't be forgotten, I love that you bring up like the 97 and the 98 year, because obviously the team playing well was great, going deep, the fever pitch to possibly win a championship was awesome. But what can't be forgotten was the coverage was second to none with KSL, with you, Alema Harrington. It was, it was unbelievable. It was, you would finish watching the game. You would have to watch everything afterwards. I mean, you were excited <laughs> about the team, but the insight, the interviews, the, you guys had to have been working insane hours. And I mean, it was just probably nonstop. But what did you enjoy most about kind of those rides through what was uh, uh, an era and a time in this market that we had never seen before and haven't seen since? I appreciate you saying that because our crew uh, worked their tails off. We were nonstop for 47 days and uh, or more. I, I lose track, but it was just a concept we came up with on Show Me the Title. It was yeah. off of the Jerry Maguire. You know, we had so much fun with it because so many different personalities around the state got involved with it. Steve Young at the time, 49ers, mm -hmm. and then we get Governor Levitt all saying, Show Me the Title, Show Me the Title. And uh, we got everybody revved up. I was revved up. The whole city was revved up. And we were able to have what we had such incredible ability to go to the floor, which is not possible now, by the way. Mm -hmm. Local television doesn't have that type of ability to string a cable out 
as soon as the network signed off, we took it. And that's just what we did. And we were able to get with Hannah Storm. We were talking to Bill Walton. We were talking to Snapper Jones and Greg Gumbel. And we got on the floor and did live interviews. A limo was in the you know, locker room outside. And we were just bouncing back and forth. It was an incredible fun time because we were given what the fans wanted. And that was interviews, live, emotion prior to now taking the, the, the jersey off and putting on coats and ties or whatever. The, you, you lose the emotion after the jersey co- comes off, in my opinion. But we were live in the moment, and we did it every night, everywhere we went. And along the way, it was quite a journey, not only year one, but year two, in covering the Jazz in the finals. And those were some of the most um, fun moments uh, that, I, that, I, that I have. Uh, I was blessed. Um, 13 years at KSL, Sports Beat Sunday, show me the title and the dedication our station had to the sports world and given the fans the best covers we possibly could. And the crew we had was out of sight. I mean, Doug Miller, Kathy Aiken, Audrey Piper, Alema. Uh, man, I had producers that were just kicking tail, getting in, you know, getting people set up and doing it. We just pulled the microphone out and ad-libbed. And Tony, as you know, that's the most maybe difficult but fun part of the business is you don't know what's happening live and that's the challenge i love and that's why i love play-by-play is because you prepare but really you'd never write a script Uh, you can't and that's the same thing when you go live after a game win or lose and um i wouldn't trade those days for anything yeah did you have any off-air conversations with like carl jerry john any of these guys that you built relationships with after the finals, oh, all the time. talking about yeah, the finals. All the time. Yeah, what, what, yeah. What, what do they usually go back to whenever the discussion about those years takes place? Um, those the, years, the those strength games. of the yeah, yeah. The, I think that the the strength of the team, the togetherness of the team, the goal of the team, uh, Jerry's leadership, the excitement that they brought to to the state of Utah and beyond. I think they're very proud the way they fought and played throughout. You saw the last dance, you know, episodes uh, seven and eight, or was it they nine go and ten, 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 yeah. not nine and ten. I didn't think they'd give the Jazz that much coverage, and they didn't. I would have loved to heard Stockton's interview a little bit more. They, they you know, the, the, the walk on the bus by Carl uh, and congratulating Michael was video I'd never seen before. But, uh, and Jerry's, comedic moments at the at the uh at the podium when you know asked about was he sick i didn't know that really i well, i'm the last one to know you know that's just pure jerry at his best and the box score when they said 54 points is that a really is this the final was that the final of the game like he didn't know but you know i thought the jazz could have been represented uh, represented a little better because of the hard-fought games that actually did occur in both of those series, despite the one game of 54 points. Uh, and you know what surprised me too, Tony, uh, Jordan really didn't talk much about that series because they were hard fought. They were highly rated by the way on mm-hmm. NBC. And, um, you know, I think there's still a very proud group of guys that know they fought and fought their hardest. They try not to get involved with the controversy of the flu game or the push-off or the Isley three that was waived. Uh, B-Russ will always have fun with saying, yeah, it was a push. And, you know, when he looked at that the other, you know, a couple of weeks ago, yeah, his momentum was pushing him to the to his right. But Jordan put, you know, helped him on down. But, you know what, that's, again, the beauty of sport. You know, as they said on ABC Sport, you know, years ago on Wild Wooler Sports, it was the agony of defeat and uh, the thrill of victory. And, you know, I think the Jazz Nation felt all of it, don't you? Oh, uh, totally. There was thrills, and then there was agony. And sadly, two years in a row, uh, the agony was felt. And Jordan just had a way in clutch time to get things done. Um, you can't take it away from him, because after watching that, that uh, docuseries, you know, he was – an assassin like no other. And I think his teammates felt his wrath more than we knew. And that's kind of what I got out of it. Um, you know, he had a pretty good hand in obviously dictating the story, Tony, but uh, we know 
the abilities of Michael Jordan and the way that he approached the game. He wanted your heart and soul. Oh, yeah. The Jazz fought as hard as they could. And it could have gone either way. One call, one call here, one call there. That's the craziness of it, is if you could change one play and the Isley bucket counts or the push-off was called or, the, or you know, as, as if, if Carl was more aware at the moment in, in that time when it collapsed on him and, 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 and you know, MJ told us what he was going to do right in the series <laughs> and how he came around to take the ball away from, from Carl. I mean, there's just three or four moments in each of those series that have changed the Jazz in this this state's totally different. Oh man, they'd be a champion uh, either once, uh, I don't know, twice, but I think they could have gotten a split out of the two. Yeah, but it didn't come out that way. And you hope that we'll get a chance. The Jazz will get a chance. The state will get a chance to relive that again. Yeah, if they if they win it and they do it against Jordan, they are as remembered as any champion ever in the history right. of the game. Right. And so well. Go ahead. Then you don't have the Stockton and Malone. Well, yeah, they're great, and they're top 50. They're Hall of Famers, and they're steel and assist leaders and number two all time. But you know what? If even Barkley, the problem with Chuck, Chuck, as good and great as he was and the teams he played on, you still are always told wherever we go, yeah, but they still didn't win a championship. <laughs> My comeback is, but you know what? At least they got there. Some teams, some greats never do. And the Jazz, at least, gave the city and the state and the region uh, two years of incredible basketball. And, I mean, look, Jerry, how many 61 seasons? I mean, unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Never coach of the year, which is insane. Well, let's say, well, they have stocks in them alone. Well, look, I think I think a guy named Phil Jackson had had a couple of great players in his during his tenure with the, with the Bulls and the Lakers. Yeah. You know, and, and – it's just odd how it all pans out. Yeah. But um, it's, um, I, the story is there. The foundation is there. And I think, again, the Jazz are just continuing on. And you hope that the, the Gobert's and the, uh, the Joe's and the Quinn's and the Donovan's and others who will come and go <clears throat> will have an opportunity to bring back uh, an opportunity to play for a title. I, I would love to see that happen. And I think everyone who's listening agrees. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, that's why you play the game is to get back and win a title. And if there's no city, there's no, I don't think there's a city more than Salt Lake and beyond that's more ready for, for a, a parade, Tony. Uh, <laughs> the city, the state does a great parade, man. But this one ought to go from Salt Lake to St. George and back, right? Oh, it would be, <laughs> if, man. If it comes to fruition that a title comes to Salt Lake. Areas of Idaho, I mean, it would be, yeah, it would it would be insane. I would love nothing yeah. more than a to A week-long parade, not just one day, but a whole week. Oh, gosh. Well, they, it's unique that you talk about the how close those series happen to be, right? Because in 97, I, I did a podcast on this comparing the 97 and 98 finals, and I, I kind of broke down everything that the last dance would not talk about. So in 97, Chicago handles Utah in game two, and the Jazz led for 129 of the 144 minutes between games uh -huh. one, two, and six. Like, the, that 97 team just does not get talked about enough because, Craig, they were, I mean, it, this is insane. They're playing against a team that I think is 171 and 29 in two years. And yeah. they're they're mm -hmm. up sixteen in game five with a sick Michael Jordan. I mean, they they are right there, man. And then the other part is ninety-eight gets remembered for game six. That was the best played game, both teams. But the first five games were not really well played. And it kind of was poor play both sides. But the hard part was Utah just was far from being who they were for so much of the year. And Utah was not good. Like the, they, they weren't their usual selves offensively in the first round. They weren't their usual selves offensively in the second round. Against the Lakers in the West Finals, that's the best I've ever seen the Utah Jazz play. And then they went back to it in the finals. So I always felt like the 98 finals was the one time Jordan played in a series where I thought it was more about who actually played worse if you grade the series like an SAT rather than who played better. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, when you really go back and look, you know, think of the high scoring league that we're in now. Right. Those games were all in the eighties and maybe low nineties, but they, it was a defensive battle 
And yeah, it was kind of a one man show at time with a few perks with a, a Steve Kerr or a Rodman rebound. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it, it, time continues on, but sometimes those heartaches linger. And I know that kind of brought back a lot of that for fans that they did watch. I don't know. I never did see the ratings in Salt Lake. They always showed what Chicago was about, and New York, and uh, you know, down in some of the southern towns. Mm-hmm. But uh, I never really saw any ratings on how high they were in the, in the Utah region. I'm not sure if fans tuned in or not, because sometimes it's hard to relive what was <laughs> and what didn't happen, you know. But, uh, you know, new time, new era, new coach, and a lot of players that with a lot of hopes and, and dreams. And, you know, hopefully uh, we get through the summer with the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to find out more. Uh, we're talking uh, today. We find out next week from Adam Silver, Tony, what's going to happen and, and, you know, what the playoff scenario will be like and how they handle the bubble. And then, of course, hopefully we're all back at it. Oh, of course. Hopefully fans will be allowed. I don't know if it's going to be a full house, but you have to take baby steps, right, to finally uh, jump in the water uh, with both feet. And I think you just have to kind of walk it. Uh, you're going to have to walk it slow to the to the, uh, to the ultimate goal, and that's a full house again. But uh, let's hope we don't get a second round and that we get some good basketball this summer and that we can start up in the fall again. And Agreed. same with college football, the National Football League baseball hockey uh people love sports and i think i've realized that more over the last three months and even for myself personally i think it kind of re-energized me you get tired during the course of nearly a hundred games and i think i realize now as we had to step away so quickly is that uh the love i have for what i do yeah and i think i also understand the passion of the fan even more and uh you know, hopefully we all get a chance to enjoy what we love. And uh, I hope it's not too far around the corner. The last thing I'll leave you with, um, just kind of your thoughts on what you think it could look like if the NBA should do this 1 through 16 seeding or even the playing uh-huh. tournaments. And then the other part is, is it unfair that some athletes are being heavily criticized for having pause about returning and what the terms should be if they happen to come back, yeah. right? Like, not just in the NBA, but with Major League Baseball. What are your thoughts on how all of that has uh, taken place the last few weeks? Those are all great questions, Tony. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be interesting. It's, a t- it's, it's an opportunity for Adam Silver to do what I think they've been talking about, is a midseason tournament, right? To change it up and to give fans a little bit more intrigue. So if he wants to do a play-in, I, I think, why not? You know, there's a couple of teams that are on the cusp. And they're not going to get a chance to finish those final 18 games uh, because they can't afford to do it in the sense of uh, too many people and obviously the fear of COVID. So uh, if you could do a play-in series, it'd be really fascinating. And I know Damian Lillard was the first to be very outspoken about not playing, but he'd be with his team because it means nothing if if they're not allowed in and pl- to play in. Now all of a sudden the play-in maybe intrigues them a little bit. But I could also see them, for safety's sake, keeping it 16, right? Uh, If they reseed, would be also intriguing, but maybe upsetting for just some Jazz fans because the reseed would put the Jazz back with the Rockets (laughs) instead of the Oklahoma City Thunder. So, you know, the Jazz are the four versus the five, but if they're actually reseeded to seven, they play 10. Yeah, Tony, man, I don't know what they'll end up doing, but I think no matter what, doesn't it intrigue everyone to watch? And yeah. that's what they want is to get people intrigued, interested, reinterested in the summer. Because you know what? There's still talk that the league may start later. And that's maybe where they want to go because they would be uh, a December start means they're kind of on their own. Uh, you know, college football and the bowl games are winding down and the NFL is down to just, you know, AFC, NFC championship rounds. Uh, and maybe basketball then has more of a, a foothold on, on the country <clears throat> during the holiday. So that's all something I'm sure that's on the table. And I'm sure Adam Silver may use this opportunity uh, to try out some of these potential changes that we may see. Secondly, look, everyone's scared. Everyone handles this in their own way. Uh, everyone in this league is well paid. And I understand the fans will be probably a little cross-eyed if you hear a player say, I'm not sure I want to play, um, I get it. You know, 
and they're going to have to be handled separately. And, and I get it. Some of these guys may be caretakers. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have like me, I've got two 87 year old parents that I care about and, and fear for. Okay. And because I wear a mask, doesn't mean I'm a lesser, you know, individual or human or a man because I'm watching out for them and others, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. My approach, either respect it or not. But um, I think you have to understand that some of them have those same fears and same concerns. Others, like a Joe Ingalls, I'm not going to speak for him, but yet they announced that he has a, a child on the way. Jerry's concerned for Renee. I uh, doesn't want to leave her, but can the league actually build the bubble? that allows everybody to come in mm-hmm. and maybe give some, some, um, I don't know. It's con- it's a good feeling to be able to be around family. Uh, they may be in it for two months. You, you're going to get knocked out and some leave early. Right. But in reality, if you're at, if you're there at the uh, Western conference finals and the Eastern conference finals, or however they do the, the seedings, then, you know, how's this going to work? I don't know, but there's concern out there. And oh, I think yeah. we all have to be patient and respectful and uh, teams are going to have to handle this individually because contracts, you know, they're there for a reason. But also, I think you have to respect uh, also the wishes of a person who may have fear, who may may have issues that that doesn't allow them to play. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. I think, Tony, everyone has to be patient during this time and respectful of each other's needs and fears. Because, look, no matter how tough we all think we are, in the midst of night, I've laid in bed, fearful of what is going to happen. And I, I hope people find that patience is, is going to be a good thing for all of us. And uh, my biggest hope is that we play. Uh, it's safe and that we don't have this come around for a second uh, run at us and that we can get back to doing what we love. And um, I think that's the, the best way I can put it, my friend, yeah. is uh, respect and understand that everybody has a fear, uh, including me. Uh, including you, including everybody, including the mightiest of all, you know, athletes. Uh, they still are human. We lose that sometimes because of the money they make. And I think, you know, there's there's going to have to be some respect along the way during this unknown time. And uh, the bubble is going to be really interesting, right, to see who comes in <laughs> and, um, and who doesn't go in. And I think you'll see teams trim it down quite a bit on the travel parties. And uh, they're just going to try to play it as safe as they can. And uh, for me, selfishly, I hope we get to call the first round, whether it's uh, most likely in a studio somewhere, because I, I like to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. But I also understand uh, if they don't and the networks take it, I'll be sitting there watching every night, every every day, uh, and I, as I know you will. Well, Bowler, thanks so much, man. We love having you on. Uh, we will do this again sometime soon. Uh, stay safe out there. We thank you for being a part of the Tony Parks podcast and uh, taking us down memory lane, man. That was a lot of fun. A lot of fun, Tony. Thanks for the talk, and uh, we'll see you soon, pal. All right, man. Thanks so much. That's Craig Bolajack, voice of the Utah Jazz, right here on the Tony Parks podcast. As always, you can find us on the Utah Podcast Network. Uh, make sure to email me with any feedback, whatever you need whatsoever, uh, including suggestions, ideas on who to interview, what to talk about. You know, I'm always up for that, so it's always a good time. And uh, follow me on uh, all social media platforms at Tony Parks 801. This has been the Tony Parks Podcast right here on the Utah Podcast Network. <laughs>